Okay, Heroes of the Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. We need a Bible, and if you need a copy, just slip up your hand, and our ushers will be glad to uh, hand one out to you. Hebrews chapter 11, it's on page 834 and 835. That's what it's going to be on. Every week when you come, there are Bibles. You can grab one, or maybe someone will hand out if you don't bring a Bible, and you're welcome to use them every week. And if you need one, you just slip up your hand. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, beginning at verses 13 through 16 today. Heroes of faith, faith and the alien factor. Look at verse 13. All these people, the writer of Hebrews says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. On the night of April, or October 30th, 1938, were any of you there? It was just before me. American families gathered around their radios, because that's what they did back before television, uh, for another broadcast of the Mercury Theater on the air on CBS radio. It was um, 8 p.m. Eastern time on a Sunday night. The evening episode, some of you may know, a little historical information, was a radio adaptation of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, in which the Earth was invaded from outer space by Martians. Some of you remember that. Instead of just telling the story, um, this, the um, Mercury Theater took a little creativity... And the, the program was skillfully presented live through a series of newscasts that said they were interrupting the regular programming and there were no commercial breaks for one hour and a half. Though the, uh, through, though the program stated its, plain, uh, its plan in the beginning... Nevertheless, people throughout the United States began to take the breaking news seriously. Uh, People began to believe that it was actually happening, that we were being invaded by Martians and death rays. The way it happened was, First, it was really serious that they just had people break in. It all happened in a studio. They had several newscasts from several locations, supposedly. They were all in the theater from experts. And um, people sat at their radios. And when a commercial came on a radio station they were listening to, they would surf. They didn't know it was surfing back then. And they came across the war of the worlds. People started calling their friends and their family members, and it was mass hysteria. 
New York Times, October 31st, 1938, five pages. A wave of mass hysteria sees thousands of radio listeners between 8.15. They waited until 8.15, 15 minutes into the program, to break in with a newscast. Last night went a broadcast of a dramatization of H.G. Wells' fantasy. The War of the Worlds led thousands to believe that an interplanetary conflict had started with invading Martians spreading wide death and destruction in New Jersey and New York. The broadcast, which disrupted households, interrupted religious services, created traffic jams and clogged communication systems, was made by Orson Welles, who, as a radio character, The Shadow, used to give the creeps to countless child listeners. This time, at least a score of adults required medical treatment for shock and hysteria. It's all true. War of the World was made into a classic movie in 1953. Anybody see that movie? War of the Worlds, 1953? Everybody has seen it. And then it was made into a television series in 1988, before some of you were born. And in 2005, Tom Cruise made the remake of War of the Worlds. It was made into five other movies after 2005. And um, it's been made into nine video games, by the way. What's the one thing that the book that came out in 1898, the broadcast in 1938, and all the films and videos. What's the one thing they have in common? Hello? It's about aliens. Thank you very much. And that's what we're going to talk about today, faith and the alien factor. First of all, if you follow in your program and on your outline, understand the alien factor in verse 13. Understand the alien factor. So what is an alien? Webster's Dictionary. What is an alien? Webster's Dictionary, we got second slide, third slide. An alien refers to one belonging to another country, differing in character from a natural citizen, someone living in a country which he is not a citizen. That's an alien. Verse 13, all these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were Aliens. The early heroes are found in verse 13. All these people. What people? All these people. Hebrews chapter 11. What people? Well, it's in the context. The answer is in verses 8 through 12. That's our message from last week. And it refers to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and also Sarah. All these people. They were still living by faith when they died. They were heroes. Um, And that's what made them heroes. Remember that the faith life is the only life that pleases God. Faith is taking God at his word. And that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. They, They trusted what God said, even though they did not receive what was promised. Now, little history here. Abraham was born about, um, 2161 B.C. When Abraham was 75 years old, he received a promise from God. God came to him and made promises to him when he was 75. 
in 2086 B.C., his son Isaac was born a small step toward the fulfillment of one of the promises. Um, Jacob was born in 2001 B.C. Abraham lived 160 years, and Abraham died in 1986 B.C. at the age of 175. Just stay with me. This has a purpose. Isaac died in 1881 B.C. at the age of 180 years. Jacob died in 1854 B.C. at the age of 147. So what? 232 years of waiting on God to do what he said he would do. And there was no answer. There was no fulfillment to all that God had promised. And by the way, can you wait 232 years for God? Will you wait 232 years for God to do what he said he would do? Now, let me remind you um, of uh, the promises also in 13, the the reference, all these people were still living by faith. When they died, they did not receive the things promised, okay? Genesis chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3. Now, we looked at this last week. This is what God said to Abraham. This is the very first time this promise is given. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And so God said to Abraham, and that included his wife, Sarah, because he was married. He had no kids, and he was 75 years old. And he waited 25 years to get one son. And that was a beginning step of the fulfillment of God making Abraham a great nation. And And then after Isaac comes Jacob. And after Jacob comes his 12 sons and the story of Joseph. And we leave the book of Genesis with 70 people beginning to fulfill the promise to make Abraham a great nation. We also looked um, over the next 400 years, those 70 people are multiplied into two and a half or three million people. And the promise to Abraham is beginning to take fulfillment of Israel becoming a great nation. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Well, that took a little time to happen for Abraham's name to become great. But it has become great. Um, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And I think I should have included verse 4, but it includes a very important piece of geography. And it's called, we call it the promised land. And it's the land God promised Abraham. And one of the things that I said last week, these promises tie the entire Bible together from Genesis to the book of Revelation. God has been in the process of fulfilling these promises for hundreds of years. And they will not find ultimate fulfillment uh, until the book of Revelation. Um, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse 2. How did that ultimately get fulfilled? In the person of Jesus Christ. And he, he ain't done yet either. All the things that Jesus is going to do to be a blessing. Um, also, the problem of uh, the, the alien problem, finally in verse 13, um, 
They did not receive things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. The best that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could do was to see the promises from a distance, as if they were on the horizon. They're way out there. They're trusting God. And you know what that meant? It meant living in a tent. And if you remember, Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldees. We talked about this last week. Abraham was a wealthy man. They had uh, two-story, 12-room homes in Chaldee, and that was like middle class. Very few ancient cultures had middle class. Abraham was comfortable. And God said, Abraham, leave and go to the place I will show you. Abraham spent the rest of his life looking for what God would show him. And they welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And that's the alien problem. Um, this, they lived in the world in attention. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. Uh, this is what Jesus told his followers. Passage is John 15, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Um, there's quite a few things in here we could talk about. But the chief thing is, is that Jesus understood this alien concept that we were in the world, but not of the world. And this world wouldn't be our home, ultimately. It's not our final destination. It's not what life is all about. And he gave his followers instruction. It says, that's why the world hates you. I'm grateful that I don't think the world hates me any more because I'm a Christian than if I weren't a Christian. Some people just don't like me. But do not forget, there is a tension in the world about Jesus Christ and Christianity. And there are times when people are aggravated with you as a Christian because you're not one of them. Now, just understand it. I don't think it has to upset anybody. Just be aware of it. It's not always about you. Sometimes it's about Jesus, okay? And John 17, verses 15 and 16, this is uh, the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus praying the night before he would be crucified, he's praying for his followers and the people who will come after the disciples, and that would be us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, he's praying to his father, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. And again, Jesus just clarifies, Jesus expects his followers to not be of the world, he wanted us to be in the world, and he wanted us to be protected uh, while we were in the world because there is pretty significant spiritual conflict. And he says, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Now, the world, when you look at the Gospel of John and the, and, um, the letters of the Apostle John, I don't know what's making the noise, but the world is a system that doesn't acknowledge God. The world is a system that leaves God out. The, the sad thing is, sometimes Christians live and leave God out. That's really sad. 
and we can go through the motions, and sometimes we make choices that are not towards sin, but we just leave God out of our lives. And that's living like the world. So, understand the alien problem. There's this tension of living in the world, but not being of the world. There's a tension, because this isn't everything. This isn't what life is all about. Now, secondly, live for the alien solution, verses 14 through 16. That may not be very creative. Live for the alien solution. First, the mindset of faith, verse 14. And the mindset of faith is a search for, for what God has for you. Um, putting God's kingdom first and your kingdom second. Look at verse 14. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Uh, who are the people? People who say such things? Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, who were waiting for the promises of God. People who understood that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Um, do you remember Hebrews 11.10 from last week? For, for he, that is Abraham, was looking to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. What we know from Hebrews 11, verse 10, is that Abraham set out with his tent and his family looking for a city. It's not spelled out in the book of Genesis. It's spelled out in Hebrews 11, verse 10. I don't know what he was looking for. I don't know what clues God had given him. I don't know all that God said to Abraham. But Abraham was searching for a place. Abraham was searching for a city that was eternal. Abraham was searching for what God put in front of him. And God said, Abraham, go. Leave this country and go to the land that I will show you. And um, the mindset of faith is to search for what God has for you. What does God want in your life? Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a great uh, passage to direct your life. God's kingdom first, your kingdom second. God's priorities first, under the lordship of Jesus come your priorities. Seek first. God's priorities guiding your priorities. That's living by faith. Because it's so easy to put your priorities or your kingdom, and by that I mean what you want and your stuff and your life and what you're all about, is it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the choice of faith. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and especially Abraham, thinking about his life, um, he had a good life back in Ur of the Chaldees. He had the American dream back in Ur of the Chaldees. Material things were abundant. He had resources. Apparently the ability to continue 
to grow resources. He could have retired well, been very comfortable, and had the nice life, and had a nice house, and been with nice people, and had a nice retirement back in earth. He could have returned, but he didn't go there. That didn't direct his life. He chose to follow God's instructions and God's leading and God's priority. The choice of faith. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul gives us this instructions to the church, to those who follow Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And uh, it's about setting your mind on advancing the kingdom of Christ. It's about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not that the earthly things are all bad. Most of those things God created or provided. Now, there are some things that are just plain evil, and it's usually because man has tainted them. Uh, Just an example would be pornography. There's probably not much good about that anywhere, okay? But earthly things in general are good, created by God, and God intends for you to enjoy things in this earth. But they're not number one, and that's not what life is all about. They come second after God's plans for your life. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter understood the alien factor. He said, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. That's the same concept of Hebrews chapter 11. The word stranger, by the way, is the word for pilgrim. Those people who landed in Plymouth on 1620. And uh, you can see why they thought they were going to the promised land, by the way. That's whole way the, Amer- the American, um, how, how uh, the, the new world was discovered and settled. Part of it was a plan by some to pursue religious freedom and uh, to go and establish this new world with new government that honors God. There was, that's part of the attempts of the Puritan experiment. And uh, same word for pilgrims, uh, for strangers. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. By the way, that's the war of the worlds right there. Which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the, among the pagans, referring to those who don't know God. That's just a, a term that people don't know God that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. By the way, that's God's primary strategy of making disciples for Jesus Christ. Live such good lives. That's the good life. Live such good lives among the people around you that though they don't understand all your motives or your actions, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
that your life shows for the true character of God, that your life attracts people to Jesus. And by the way, the whole picture in the Bible of Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride, it's the bride who is supposed to be beautiful at the wedding. It's the bride who is supposed to be spotless and stainless and attract people to look at the bride. And when we live a life like that, we attract people to Jesus. They want to know more. This is a strategy that was used back on Father's Day weekend when we went to Michigan at the Arab International Festival. The goal was simple. Serve, be humble, smile, be kind. And we picked up trash. We were in the Arab community. We picked up trash. We, we served vendors. We picked up more trash. We did some prayer walking. Um, we served hospitality. We served with kids. And all of this was to be humble and serving and was primarily about breaking down barriers because there's such a negative view of Christianity. And it has a lot to do with how Christians behave. And so we were just serving to overcome some of the barriers, to earn the right to have a conversation about Jesus. It was a great strategy. It was a really good strategy to use. Really good strategy to use every day. Live in a way that attracts people to Jesus. The reward of faith, verse 16. Instead, that is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived in tents because they were looking for what God had placed in their heart, and they were going where God had told them to go, and they had to wait, and they had to wait, and they had to wait, and they had to keep going. They're called sojourners. They lived in tents. They didn't put down permanent roots. And... God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he prepared a city. Now, some of the verses say country. Some of the verses say city. So what is it? Is it a country or a city? Go back to the ancient world. When you think of Rome, what do you think of? It is a city, and it is an empire. And in Greece, they had city-states. It was about the city. And... We looked at that last week, and we're going to look at it again. But um, the scriptures say God was not ashamed to be called their God. By the way, would, would God be ashamed to say he was your God? By the way you live, the life you live, is God afraid? Or is it consistent? Does it fit that God is the God of Jerry Kellen or is that fit? Is it, is it fit for your name? Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We're going back to the Old Testament. This is the life of Moses, 600 years after Abraham. And this is when Moses has an encounter with God. And Moses gives 
God gives Moses his commission, his plan for his life. And, you know, Moses is not sure what to think. And God says to Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you stand, where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, here it is. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were just ordinary guys. They had an extraordinary God. And they sought to follow. Now God identifies himself to Moses 700 years later. Who are you? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac. Oh, we know him. We know them. Um, Donald Guthrie writes, No greater commendation could be given to any man that God is not ashamed to be called their God. That would be no greater commendation for you if God would say that about you, that he's not ashamed to be called your God. John 14, 1 and 2. This is a well-known passage. This is the night before Jesus uh, was uh, night of the Last Supper, the night before he was crucified. This is a time with his disciples. It's a very important time, a critical time. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a crisis night. I don't think the disciples had a clue what was coming, but they knew something was up, and they were worried. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. What's that? It's about living by faith. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, he's talking about heaven, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus is about to leave. He's going to disrupt their lives. They're, they're going to go through uh, a crisis. They're going to go through, they're going to be grief stricken. Um, and they're going to, the whole world is going to be lost. They're going to run for their lives for safety. And then they're going to start thinking about what Jesus said to them. And then there's going to be the resurrection. And then he's going to go ascend into heaven. And they're going to think back to these words. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's the same word, prepared, that Jesus used. That's what Jesus did when he went back to heaven. He prepared a place for his followers. And that includes you as a follower of Christ. Um, Revelation 21. We looked at some passages in Revelation last week. Here's a couple more. Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. 1 through 4 is what we looked at last week. And that's about... Uh, heaven and it's about the new city jerusalem and it's a place where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering this is the place that jesus prepared look at 21 verses 9 and 10 
This is to John, the Apostle John, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last place, came and said to me, John, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I, I love that. The bride, it refers to the church. It's the bride of Christ. The Lamb is the Lamb of God who is Jesus, who was our sacrifice. And he calls us, the church, the wife. You are the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That's the city. That's the city whose architect and builder is God. The city that has eternal foundations. That's the place that Jesus prepared for the bride. That's the place Jesus prepared for us. That's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were looking for. It's a city in Revelation that's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. Is that a city or is it a country? That's the place Jesus went to prepare. And there is a condo there for you, according to the scriptures. Um, This is the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation uh, 22. Uh, Verse 12, 22, verse 12. Behold, this is Jesus. And he's beginning to close out the final things of the book of Revelation. Some of the last words we have in the Bible. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. We sang about the reward earlier. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. My reward, he is coming. And he's bringing his reward. Verse 16, Hebrews 11, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And that's going to be the ultimate reward of faith. So God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they died before they received all of the promises. Now, they got answers along the way. Abraham got Isaac, and Isaac got Jacob. And they accumulated possessions in the land. And they got to see the land that God was going to give them. But they didn't receive everything that was promised. And they were 2,000 years away from Jesus, where we would begin to find the ultimate fulfillment. And here's my point. God has made promises to you. And many of those promises you've experienced. I love that I have been forgiven of my sin. I've experienced the forgiveness of sin. I have been given the Holy Spirit to live in my life, to empower me to live for Him. I have been given the opportunity to communicate with a true and living God. He communicates with me. And I can sense that when I read the Scriptures. And I can pray. I can talk to the true and living God, and He hears me. And he's promised that he will provide everything that I need. And I have experienced many of those 
promises. And I have hope for the future. And it's a real hope. It's not just a, you know, a subjective thing, so I hope so. There is something waiting for me, and it's called an inheritance. And it's waiting for you, too. But what if everything that you want doesn't happen in this life? And what if every promise that God has made to you isn't fulfilled in this life? Can you wait 232 years? Because God is going to give you everything you need one day at a time. Everything you need. And he is going to ultimately fulfill every promise, ultimately. But this isn't heaven. And we shouldn't expect the perfect world here. And so that means there's going to be some hard things, and there's going to be some tough days, and there's going to be some discouraging days, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change hope. It doesn't change the promises of God. It doesn't change God. And God is blessed when you and I live by faith. When we trust him, when we take him his word, and we, and we arrange our lives around uh, what he has. Can you let God be God instead of you? He's the one who is sovereign. He's the one who's in charge. Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for Hebrews chapter 11 and the examples you give us about living by faith. God, may we be people who live by faith. May we take you at your word. May we grow in our understanding. May we grow in our trust. Lord, you are directing every one of our lives. May we pay attention. May we look for where you are leading. May we desire what you want for us. May we trust you for Jesus' sake. Amen.